Welcome to GRE Snacks, snackable episodes about the GRE exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable GRE course that includes everything you need to ace your GRE exam. A full textbook, videos on key topics, tons of GRE questions backed by our memory-enhancing algorithm, a built-in study planner and essay grader, and full-length practice exams. You can try it out for free by going to achievable.me, and if you like it, use the code PODCAST to get 10% off. Now, let's get started. Today, we've got Dr. Don Martin from the Grad School Roadmap with us, and Don, I'd love if you could introduce yourself for the people who have not heard you before. Sure will, Tyler. Uh, Thanks so much for having me back. It's great to be here. And uh, I guess my claim to fame, if you will, is that I spent my entire career, I'm still actually doing that as we speak, in the field Mm -hmm. of enrollment and student services, in particular admissions at some really wonderful schools, including Northwestern University, uh, the Booth School of Business at the University of Chicago, Columbia University. I did this work for 28 years as a dean of admissions. Then I, in 2008, I started Grad School Roadmap in conjunction with the publication of my book, Roadmap for Graduate Study, a guide for prospective graduate students. And since then, have been working with just over 900 applicants for all sorts of graduate programs, Master of Arts, Master of Science, PhD, MBA, law school, medical school, you name it. And uh, it's been a phenomenal career. I've loved what I've done. And so now as I'm approaching my senior senior years of my of my career, I'm getting invitations like yours to speak with individuals about aspects of the application process, which I'm enjoying. And that's why I'm I'm here today visiting with you. Fantastic. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about sort of the inside story on getting waitlisted or deferred, right? Or denied. And, uh, and, or denied. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I uh, wanted to, I mean, I think I have a number of ways that I think we could start this one, but how did you want to start? Oh, please. I'll let, I'll let you start however you would like. That would be great. I, I love questions. So you go, you take it away. Sure. So, I mean, I guess for me, the way I would start to look at it is basically how do you get waitlisted or denied in the first place. And maybe we kind of handle these two things a little bit separately. But like if you had through your time, you know, probably admitting waitlisting or denying over 10,000 people is my rough guess. It probably it might be a lot higher than that. Um, I'm just curious kind of what goes into that decision making process. And kind of when you get that letter back that you don't want from the school, like how should you interpret what that means? Let me just say this, first of all, and this is not in any way to brag, but to let our listeners know that I do think I have some background to answer this this question for you. During Mm -hmm. my time in full-time higher ed, the 28 years, I evaluated over 125,000 applications. That was was the number. Now, a little bit more than 10,000. Well, well, but no, no, but, but the number that got admitted, of course, mm-hmm. was far, far lower than that. That was right. That sat, unfortunately, I had to say no to far more applicants than I could say yes to. To give you some idea, each incoming class at Chicago Booth while I was there was about 500 students. I was there 11 years. So that would be about 5,000, 5,500 5, students somewhere in there that I admitted. 
So your mm. your your estimate of how many got in is is a little closer to ten. It's a little more than ten thousand, but but not probably as high as twenty thousand. So it was a a very small group that got in. So now now to answer your question, how does how does someone get waitlisted or or denied? Uh, something that many applicants may not realize is that the admissions dean or director does not determine the size of the incoming class each year or the makeup of that class. That decision is communicated to the dean of admissions from usually the president or a vice president in charge of enrollment they, to whom they report. Every year I would meet with my supervisor who was the, the dean or the of, of, of a school or the vice president or the president, they would say, Don, next fall, a year from now, this is what we want you to bring in, in terms of the number of students and the makeup of that class, what it looks like, how many men, how many women, how many uh, international students, how many American citizens, on and on. So I never had the authority to say, okay, Here's what I'm going to do. That was given to me. And within that instruction, I then was entrusted with bringing in that group that, that was asked for. Well, one very uh, immediate fact is that uh, there were often many more applicants than I could take. Of course, I some years I had 5,000 applications for 500 seats. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, many times applicants tend to have an idea of whether or not they think they have a chance of getting in, which causes them to apply, which means that most applicants are pretty good. This was not mm -hmm. a matter of only 500 students at the, in the case of, of Chicago or, or at, at Northwestern, maybe. 300 students every year. It, it wasn't that there, there were only 500 outstanding applicants and it was an easy job. That was not true. 90 mm -hmm. to 95% of the applicant pool every year, if I had just thrown their applications up in the air and picked the first 500 that landed over here, they would have all done well. This was not... So the issue of a waiting list or being denied, oftentimes, first and foremost, has to do with the number of openings there are in the class. And applicants mm -hmm. need to be realistic going into this. If you're applying to a program that, that's going to take 300 students and you have 8,000 applications, you need to be realistic at the beginning that there's a very strong likelihood you may not be included in that 300. It's a small number from 8,000. So what results in someone being placed on a waiting list versus someone being denied? I'll start with uh, being denied. If you are denied, it basically means not that you do not have the potential to do graduate level work, but that on in that year, based on the applicant pool that was there, based on the instructions given to the dean of who who was to be admitted and in what way, we we weren't able to offer admission. You were not quite as competitive as those that we offered admission to. And so we mm -hmm. had to say no. Um, again, that's very hard for anyone to hear. It's, uh, people used to think you have such an easy job, Don. You get so many more applications than you can take. It must be easy. Well, it was the opposite. It was very difficult. Every folder mm -hmm. I opened, every, every essay I read, I realized that 
in most cases, this was someone who really wanted to be at my school. They really wanted to go there. And I was going to have to say no uh, nine times for every one time I said yes. So, but but it that that's how a denial decision would be made. For waitlist, usually that means, look, this is somebody we really do have an interest in, but there's at least one or two things in the application that don't add up to us, or we believe we need more information about. We we want to take a little more time with this applicant. And mm-hmm. so we will place them on. And what many applicants falsely assume is that if you're placed on a waiting list, that means you're very close to being denied. And that's it's the opposite. It means if if we felt you weren't able, we weren't able to admit, we would tell you that. We don't mm-hmm. we're not trying to you know, keep you hanging on. So if you're waitlisted, it actually means there's a chance, a very strong chance you could be admitted. And so it, it basically means we, we want to take a little bit more time to think about um, what you've submitted to us. Uh, we may have a few questions we want to ask you. We may want you to send an additional letter of recommendation or or something that will help us make sure that that we have the full picture before we make a final decision. The last thing I'll say about both of these decisions, I say this in every presentation I ever give when if I talk about the notification process. Four words if you're waitlisted or denied. This is not personal. <laughs> it is not in any way an attack on you. I know no one likes to be denied. I understand that. That's human nature. Nobody. When you apply somewhere, you'd like to be in the driver's seat and get admitted, and then you make the call whether or not you're going to accept that offer. I get that. I, I'm that way too. But in truth, it is not personal at all. It just isn't. It's a matter of making the best judgment we can, looking at all of the applicants we have that year and what the makeup of the class is going to be, and then making decisions accordingly. Got it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I mean, I guess for me, my follow-up questions on that are, are focused on kind of the waitlist aspect. Okay. So when when someone's waitlisted, it that definitely sounds very different from undergrad. Because in undergrad, it's kind of like you're if you're waitlisted, it's like, eh, we didn't accept you, but maybe if a spot opens up. Right. Is it more that like when you're in graduate school, is it like, let's say you have, I don't know, 500 spots. Do you fill 400 and waitlist kind of 150, right? Like, these are all just, like, numbers, for example. But just, like, th- there are spots there kind of already allocated, and you just w- want to figure out maybe, like, a little bit more information about each of these people? Or is it more, is it still that, you know, you would accept 500 on the first go, and then you would kind of wait to see? No, I, well, again, this may differ depending on who you're speaking with. but. In my case, as a dean of admissions, I never, ever filled up the class as I went along. I I had openings for admission from each of the deadlines we ever had because sometimes an outstanding applicant who wanted to apply for the first round, somehow something happened and they couldn't. They, they, they had to back it up to the second round or the third round. So I never, ever, my our class, in my term at Northwestern, Chicago Booth or or Columbia, our class was never filled entirely until later in the summer. 
we never, I, I had, I, I made admission decisions outright from each deadline. And then uh, knowing, however, that, that there, the, your question is well taken. There, you do put someone on a waiting list also knowing that there could be an opening that someone you did admit decides not to accept the offer. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, but so, but that for me was a secondary matter. My first reason to waitlist someone was because I was very interested in them, but I needed some more information. There was something else that right. I needed to help me. Um, so that said, let's say I was going to bring in 500 students in the incoming class in a year. I might admit, for, and, and we had three application deadlines. Mm-hmm. I might admit 150 from the first deadline, 100 from the second, 75 from the third, and the rest came from the waiting list. Right. I, wow, okay. Because I never wanted to fill the class entirely knowing that some of those folks on the waiting list we really wanted. And so mm-hmm. this is where responding, if you're waitlisted, however you're asked to do that, is is important. And letting the admit, if, if you get waitlisted at an institution that is your first choice, letting the admissions committee, uh, I know I know the word wait becomes a four-letter word because you just, you really don't know anything. You're back to square one. You have no idea what's happening. But uh, let them know that um, uh, you, you, so I, I said this might be counterintuitive, but thank them for keeping you there. That means mm-hmm. they're really interested in you and how you deal with that. By the way, the worst thing you can do is not to respond at all. Don't. Right. Yeah. yeah. Don't do anything. And then I will say that when it came time for me to go back and revisit a group of waitlisted candidates, if there had been no response from them at all after being waitlisted, they were denied. I made an assumption mm-hmm. that they weren't interested. Now, I could be wrong, but there were so many who did respond that those were the ones, obviously, that I wanted to work with. So right. you have a point to, as, as a candidate, you have a part to play in this, especially if one of the programs that waitlists you is your first choice. You need to get on that right away. Send them a letter. Oftentimes, institutions will say, please go on to the website, click here and confirm that you would like to stay on the list, do that immediately. Do that the minute you get that letter. Do it if that's what you feel. And then whatever instructions they give you, follow them. And uh, some schools may not give you as much opportunity to be in touch with them as others. But the one thing you can always do regardless is send a special message to the committee saying, and I know this might be hard to say, but thank you for keeping me on the waiting list. Thank you. I'm so. This is my first choice. If you admit me, I'm coming. Uh, that that was that was always something we were appreciative of knowing. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I think also telling people that it's your first choice is a really good idea. If it, ha- it should be true, correct. <laughs> but it's a really good idea because you know one of the things that's your metrics as an employee there is. Um, I forget the exact word for it, but it's basically out of how many people you admit, how many say yes and come to your school. That's called your enrollment yield. Yeah. Enrollment yield. Yeah. There we go. That's right. Yeah. So they, they, you know, you telling them, Hey, good. You know, the, it, for a school like you, Chicago booth, the enrollment yield is probably above 80% anyway. Right. But it's like, I want you to know that this guy is a hundred percent 
hundred <laughs> percent in. I think that that does help. It, it certainly helps a little bit. Uh, because and here again, in at in some cases, Tyler, the reason I waitlisted someone is I got no sense of how interested they were in our program. Their answer to that question in the essay was very lame. They they didn't mm-hmm. really provide much. And then when I would go back and revisit that group of waitlisted candidates, sometimes those were some of the ones who never responded. So I knew mm-hmm. we were not we they just had us in there for whatever, but we were not we were not on their list. So I didn't I didn't admit them. I you know, because they never responded. But others who I wasn't sure of Oh my word, I'd, I'd get a beautiful letter from them or I'd get a recommendation letter and I'd get, you know, I really, I'm so, I, I, you're my first choice. If you admit me, I'll be there. Um, some of those didn't get in always. Uh, it's not as though that was the number one criteria for vi- revisiting the waitlist, but where mm-hmm. that was there and we felt we had a good match. Yes. It, it, and yes, please be honest about, you can say to other programs, Yes, I'm still very interested, but please don't say to all of them, if you're waitlisted to more than one, please don't say to all of them, you're my number one choice. And if you admit me, I'll be there. Obviously, that's that's deceitful. Yeah. So I'm curious then to go backwards just a little bit. Um, yeah. You were talking about sometimes we waitlist people because we want to see more. Or we have questions. Yes. Like, what are some common examples of things that come up that will put people on the wait list, but, you know, in that positive way. One is, as I mentioned, not giving us any indication that you're really interested in our program. Second, you may have um, had a, a gap in your work history or something where your, your resume is not, you know, there's, there's gaps and you didn't explain any of that. That would be a reason to put you on the waiting list. Another would be a less than competitive GPA. You have some issues with your grades and maybe you withdrew for a term and, and, and then your grades went down or you, you had a, and you don't explain anything about that to us. That would be cause, but, but there, your recommendations are strong. Your extracurriculars are strong. Your essays are really commendable. We, but we need to know more about this academic side. That would be a, a reason to put you on the waiting list. Finally, uh, another one, excuse me, that comes to mind is um, a recommendation letter that is not, now again, we don't like recommendation letters that say you're perfect and you walk on the water and you are, you know, there's no one ever like you in the world. That's too much that way. But nor are we pleased if we get a recommendation letter that isn't fairly positive on the candidate. That isn't, you know, mm-hmm. I'm really, recommending this person to you. And if that happens, that would be cause, and we would probably ask for another recommendation letter in that case. That would be cause right. to get on the waiting list. Yeah. And that's interesting too. I mean, my undergraduate GPA was not particularly great. Um, I mean, like, is it as simple? Like, at least what I would say is just like, I didn't take school seriously enough and now I would, right? Is that good enough of an answer? <laughs> right? Like, I think it's, uh yeah, like just because I think the GPA one out of all the things you listed, that's the one that you kind of can't un, you can't put that genie back in the bottle, really. You can't. That's right. There are a couple of ways, in my opinion, to address a less competitive academic background. 
One yeah. is to be, again, as, as you and I have said, Tyler, whenever we've talked about various aspects of the application process, the one thing you need to do is be yourself and related to that is to be transparent. Be honest. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, 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 I mean myself, I, Don Martin, did not do very well in college. I, I did better in my junior and senior year, but I blew it off the first two years. I just, you know, wasted time. Um, mm -hmm. that didn't ruin my career. It didn't, it didn't cause me to go down a, a bad road, but it was something I needed to explain. And so I did. And what you need to do is to be very honest and say, look, I, I know that my GPA is not uh, as probably as competitive as some others. Here's what happened. Make an explanation, not an excuse, an explanation, and indicate that you hope the committee will take a look at other aspects of your application, which you do believe. Are, are very competitive and would render you successful at this particular institution. Now, something else you can do, and, and I often encourage this, know, if you know well ahead of time that you're going into this process with a less competitive GPA, take a course now. Take one class, one graduate class. It could be in a subject. It doesn't have to be in your major, but probably better if it is. But take a course, get an A, just mm -hmm. online. Then you can write to the admissions committee and say all of what you want to say about your GPA, but you have another piece of information. I would also like to point out that I recently took a graduate level course and I got an A. That is so powerful. That is absolutely, that kind of totally negates what that undergraduate transcript might be showing. When this person realized that this was going to be a deficiency or a potential weakness, and they did do, they couldn't put the genie back in the bottle for college, but they could open a new genie, if you will, and mm -hmm. take one course or two and get an A. That's, that, that trumps everything. Cool. That's very, that's a very like interesting tip that I have not heard before. I like that one a lot. It's, it's a, it, it really, I, I, in my coaching work with my clients, I suggest this all the time. Don't that, in, in other words, that's one way of, of, not making it look like you're saying, well, look, I didn't do well. So what? Or, you know, that's it. No, I mm. didn't do well, but I'm trying to show you now that I can and that I will by taking this class. It's a very just, I, I, I admitted so many students like that who, who had that undergraduate background, but took a course or two more recently and, and aced it. That showed me where they were, that they meant business, that they were, and, and that's a very, very powerful. And if I may go back to one thing about um, where we, we talked about um, letters of recommendation that might hinder right. an applicant. Um, in all honesty, Tyler, and maybe we can do a podcast about this someday if you ever want to. Uh, listen to me <laughs> inviting myself. I'm so sorry. I'm being so shameless. But anyway, um, uh, about... 90 to 95% of recommendation letters that I read were meaningless. Mm -hmm. I, I evaluated over 125,000 applications in my time. And they were very, they, you need one way to make sure you don't get on a waiting list or denied is to have outstanding letters of recommendation. This is yeah. often overlooked. And it, no, we d we did an episode on this actually. Oh, we did. Recall. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if for those listening, if you want to go find it, it's yeah, I think it literally is called ninety five percent of recommendation letters. That's it. That's or something it. Similar. That um, I am so sorry. That's another great one. Yeah. It, 
this is something I talk about so often because yeah, it can make or break an application big time. So anyway, okay, for sure. No, no, that's good. I just, um, yeah, definitely a good resource for people. If you go back through the podcast, you can find that one because that's another good one. Um, and I think in general now, what I wanted to move on to as as we kind of get closer to wrapping this up, okay, is just now that you're kind of let's say that the the schools followed up with some questions, right? If you're on the wait list, um, what sort of are best practices for dealing with them? And then from then on, basically, you know, whether you're waitlisted or denied, how do you move on with your life in either way, right? Especially when you're denied, like, what do you do next? Well, it's certainly not the end. I was in this position. When I applied for my PhD at Northwestern, I was denied the first time. It was my first choice. Mm-hmm. I, there was no other program anywhere near as, as important to me as that one. It was very disappointing. So I, I know how it feels. Uh, so mm-hmm. let's, let's say you're, let's say you're, you're denied and this was your first choice. You really want to be there. In my opinion, I would reach out to them and tell them that I, what, and, and ask them, is, is there, is there something I can do better? I'd like to reapply and wait a year mm-hmm. and, and you have a year to build on, on what you might hear from them and make, and by the way, here's another misunderstanding or, myths that many applicants believe. And that is if you're denied once, you'll be denied again every time you apply. That is absolutely Mm. false. Your chances of getting admitted go up as a reapplicant, not down. So you 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 have the option, if this is something you really want to do, get some feedback, contact them, let them know, and reapply and and really pursue that. Now, if you're waitlisted and you have followed all of what they've asked, you've sent in your materials and you did everything you could, uh, and then you have to wait again. As, as I said, it's a four-letter word. You have to wait until you hear from them. I would estimate, again, now, I've not been in full-time admissions work for a little while, but I would estimate, Tyler, that probably 70 to 80% of waitlisted candidates get in, ultimately. It's a very high percentage. There are some where maybe toward the end, there's, there is no room left. You had a larger yield than you expected. And so now one thing that I did a few times, I admitted some students who had waited on the waiting list and who said that we were their first choice. I went ahead and admitted them for the following year. So they didn't have mm-hmm. to reapply. And I said, look, if you still want us next year, you're in. We will, we, you're admitted right off the bat. Uh, other times I, I did not do that. I, I denied them, but I will tell you that 90 to 95% of the time, a waitlisted mm. candidate who was not able to be admitted in that year and reapplies will be admitted hands down. It's almost a foregone conclusion. Yeah, why is that? Like, I mean, assuming that they is is part of it just that they've had another year to develop their application and well, they if they if, if, if I think your question was what happened, what what do they do if they responded and answered all the questions you had and you still didn't admit them? What that showed is they took to heart everything we said. They did respond, they did everything, but we weren't able to admit. Uh, what that means is they are an admissible candidate, and definitely with another year of experience under their belt. And assuming we're still their first choice, it's a no-brainer. They're they're in, and 
I always recommended that those folks apply in the first round. Apply mm-hmm. in the very first round. Let us remind us of the situation. And I admitted, honestly, probably ninety nine percent of them in in my tenure. Uh, they right. They, it was it was a shoe in. Yeah, that's great. That's like a really insightful tip. Anything else before we wrap up here? Uh, I guess my biggest advice in this regard is don't give up and don't be deterred and don't take it personally if you don't get in or you get waitlisted. This is not admissions deans. I'm not asking for pity here, but admissions deans have a very tough job. They they can only take a certain number and they have all these amazing candidates. It's a very difficult. It was not something I relished every year when I had to sign mm-hmm. all those deny letters. That was not I wasn't, oh, this is really fun. It wasn't. So don't take it personally. Don't be deterred. Don't get discouraged. Hang in there. And if you need to, apply again. And what you'll find is looking back, that extra year might have made all the difference. Fantastic. Thank you so much. This has been GRE Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Dr. Don Martin from Grad School Roadmap. And Achievable has a great online GRE course that you can try for free at achievable.me. And if you like it, use the code podcast to get 10% off.